internet, I hope you've not masturbated today. We need you sharp and ready to go. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you don't have to be Will Smith White. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Sorry to Bother You. I'm sorry to bother you, but we missed this one last week because of my seat anarchy, but we're picking it back up this week. We're picking it back up. Seat anarchy is no longer reigning supreme. You know what is reigning supreme, Shahir? It's reigning men? We have... (laughs) Supremes? No, well, I mean, if you can figure out a way to tie it back once I give her her introduction, dear friends and listeners, it is with a great pleasure that I get to introduce you fresh off the plane from sunny California, the supervising producer of Steve, the Steve Harvey Show, one of my original MTV internship classmates, and with this very show being her seventh appearance appearance? on our program. Ladies and gentlemen, she is the title holder for most guest spots on the only podcast about movies, Miss Jessica Tucker. Hey. Welcome hey. back. Going to clap. Shahir's not. There we go. That was a prompt. I'll clap for myself. Yay. I missed you guys. Missed Welcome you home. Thank you. It's so good to be back. Are you, are you just dropping by for a week, for just for this podcast? You just flew in? I just flew to... in just for this. That's nice. good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sorry to bother are we you. Covering the tic- <laughs> <laughs> are we covering the tickets? Just so I know. Uh, you, you are. Okay. <laughs> Surprise. Oh, boom. There you go. Sorry to bother you, Shahir. You bought Jess a plane ticket. How? You've been... Uh, so, you have been on the podcast seven times. I would say, venture to guess, that you would be on the podcast a whole lot more if you're actually living oh. in New York City right now. But you've moved to LA. Yeah. How's it been? It's been good. It's been a full year, actually, this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm still not used to it. Right. LA is very different than New York City, but I'm I'm getting there. You know, one thing I because I used to live in LA. One thing mm-hmm. I remember about uh, living in LA is like going to the movies and hanging out at the movies was mm-hmm. like a way bigger deal in LA than it is in in New York. Like because you would go to the mall, you'd hang out at the mall mm-hmm. all day, and then you go to the movies in the afternoon, kind of thing. Yeah. Did you do you find that there or? Yeah, it's like it's definitely different. You know what I was thinking about today is I went and saw um I went and saw. The this movie by myself right and i Good used, for you <laughs> yeah and i used to always go and see movies alone here in new york and yep. it never felt weird yeah and what i've been confronted with in la is like it's a very different experience doing things on your own in la yeah because most people aren't other people aren't alone yeah and so yeah it feel it feels awkward and so it was really like nice and refreshing <laughs> today to like go and sit in a theater alone and do this there's something about new york city that and i think it has to do with not driving yeah. Because you, in, in order to go anywhere else to go to a movie, you actually have to get in your car alone, mm-hmm. go park the car alone, then go to the theater. Where here you're just like, you're kind of walking and there's a movie theater every 15 minutes and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I could do this right now. So it's it's a it's a nice comfort that I don't think a lot of people off of public transit get to actually get to actually experience. Yeah. And then in L.A. and like I've noticed this in like the suburbs, too. It's like like you're saying it's like you go shopping and it's like kind of like a nice thing to do to rest your feet. Just to go yep. to the movies. Take a yeah. Break. yeah. I think the the the, the two term air conditioner break comes uh-huh. from like going to the movies in LA you know you yeah. take an air conditioner break yeah. for a couple of hours yeah you know one way to freak people out in LA and I've done this <laughs> a couple of times is walk to the place you're going to meet them and like if especially if it's in another neighborhood mm-hmm. like I you know like if you it takes like half an hour to walk from one neighborhood to sure, the other, sure, sure. Yeah. but nobody does that. And yeah. I, d- I did it, and everyone I was meeting freaked out because they were like, you walk? Like, what happened on the way? And they were like asking questions about the yeah. route I took. <laughs> and I was like, no, I just... I just and it was literally a straight line. Yeah. Yeah. I, and people told me that whenever I first got there. And when I first got there, I didn't have a place to live or a car. I had to right. figure that out in two weeks before my job started. Right. Yeah. And everyone was like, no one walks in LA. And I was like, 
yeah, right. And yeah. so like, I started walking and then I and then I came across a street mountain and I was like, oh, it's not flat here. Like, <laughs> right, this, yeah. is, this is also maybe why people don't walk as yeah. much is because like you get like you're walking at a 45 degree angle. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, regardless, it's great to have you back. I, I'm curious, uh, in the year you've been away and we haven't seen you in a while, like, what have mm -hmm. you been watching? What have you been, like, uh, keeping up with? About, other than, you know, the work that you do, obviously. Yeah, so I I took a kind of, like, a break. I hadn't, I didn't really see, I got really wrapped up in work and I didn't really see very many movies or um, watch much TV. Oh, my God. You didn't have us breathing down your neck there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe you were living like a real human being and like reading books and like taking hikes and, and like and not consistently judging other people's work on a weekly basis. Yeah. Then it broadcast that to a bunch of people across the internet. That yeah. I mean, your life seems a little bit more normal. Yeah, yeah. I've been outside a lot, like being in LA. Like I've definitely been like going on hikes, sitting by the pool, reading a book. Yeah, yeah that kind of thing. Um, I did recently binge watch Atlanta. Yeah, nice. Really right. enjoyed that. Which Lakeith who's yeah, in Lakeith this movie. Sanfield, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what else have I watched? I watched. Um, Oh, Handmaid's Tale. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm reading I'm reading the book for that right now. Yeah. yeah. You know what's so funny is a couple years ago someone handed like uh I was in jury duty. Yeah. And uh, an older lady handed me that book. And she was like, "We're reading this in my book club, and like, you, it's like really provocative. Like, you should read it." And I was like, "This is so and strange." And did she only hand it to you? Like, yeah. was it just like, "Oh, wow. you're a young woman. You're the woman. chosen one. You're yeah. a young woman. I think you'll enjoy this." Yeah. And yeah. then I, I didn't read it, and then now I regret it because it became like such a thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I really enjoyed the show. It's super, super dark it's but dark, like, you yeah. can't I, stop I actually, watching it i actually haven't watched the show i've just like my wife's been watching it and mm -hmm. so i've kind of like seen snippets of it and uh -huh. then i'm reading the book which is very different to the show i think oh um, yeah yeah the i as far as i can tell the show basically covers all the ground of the book in like the first couple of episodes mm. and yes. then from there on it's on it's on yes yeah. that's right that's right so yeah and then let me ask you this jess before we start moving on to sorry to bother you um on a scale of 10 to 25,000, <laughs> how excited are you for the new Fantastic Beasts? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um, I feel like you just heard that name for the first time in a year. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, very excited? No, you don't have to be. I don't know how 12. I am. Yeah, yeah, it could be a 12. Um, no, <laughs> that, I, that one may need to like build from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, because uh, you were on our Fantastic Beast yeah. 1 podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I remember I enjoyed that film, but I also wasn't super pumped. I don't think any of us really were. I'm pretty sure I forgot about it entirely at this point. I uh, forgot other they were than, making more, yeah. Other than Johnny Depp appeared. And that oh, was, yeah. And that was about... And now he's the bad guy. Yeah, and that's about all I remember. Oh, well. <laughs> all right, before we jump into Sorry to Bother You, we have a nice new internet review that I kind of wanted to just shout out to. That was Stephen, who uh, is my friend from New Zealand. So this is kind of a cheat review because <laughs> I know the guy. But Stephen's review, just uh, thank you very much for writing this. And his, and his comments were, if you know the burning emptiness of seeing a movie by yourself, Jesse's looking at you at this yeah. one, and not being able to sit around afterward with friends arguing over the film, then this pot is the podcast that could fill that gap. Shahir Dad and Matthew Kroll are the perfect guys, eh, agree to disagree, gap to fillers. see a movie with and argue endlessly, definitely agree, um, uh, and entertainingly about. Information and opinions flow freely. You won't always agree with them, agreed, yep. uh, but you will find your enjoyment of the movies deeply enriched. It is the only podcast about movies. Thank oh, you. thanks, Steve. You too can write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod with your thoughts, feelings, emotions, 
emojis. What else could you send us? Gifts. I um, love gifts. Send me gifts. Just send us random gifts. Like and 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 make us do the work to figure out what the context of what you're asking us. I is. will I will talk through <laughs> what gift you send us. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, um, you know, uh, Samantha, whatever, sent but, us blah blah blah. But I'll talk through the gift, and then we'll have to guess which gift it was. But I'd like it to be kind of like a pu- a mystery puzzle. Like like for example, send us a gift of. 19, you know, like TV show Power Rangers mixed with a shot from the Matrix mixed with... Oh, you want one of those word puzzles. Yeah, and then I've got to figure out what it is you're trying to yeah, tell Yeah, hey, send us all those things. <laughs> Onlymoviepodcast yeah. at gmail.com. A gif is the gift that keeps on gifing. Yeah, I got a really interesting one the other day um, that like had really nothing to do with anything we're texting about, but like at the same time made perfect sense. And it was a hummingbird hitting the head of an owl and the owl like looked like very shocked. Was that like an idea forming or was hmm. it like uh, I, it, you're hurting my brain? It was kind of like an oops like <laughs> yeah. type moment. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> my favorite gift is Michael Fassbender from I Believe Alien Covenant. Okay. Uh, where it's like, show me, show me you. And then he goes, no, the real you. No, the real you. And then uh, the last thing he goes, perfection. So I have, <laughs> there's a beautiful gif of him just saying perfection and in beautiful typography, it like rotates in from itself and right, it just right. says perfection. So if that's like my plans are set, we're going to actually go to this movie or do whatever, seven o'clock. Is that what you said? Perfection. Like <laughs> that's my ultimate favorite movie gift to send. I am definitely an abuser of the gif <laughs> format. I'm like, I send gifts for everything when not required. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like sending gifts was like something you did in 2010 and I'm just catching up to it now. It's definitely <laughs> how, yeah. how you end a conversation yeah. one way or another, either they'll laugh and enjoy it yeah. or they'll be like, Ugh. but either way they'll know it's over. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we are moving on to Boots Riley's film, Sorry to Bother You, which is, again, uh, I, we were supposed to review this last week, but I was I was happy that we managed to get in Leave No Trace yes. um, because I missed up my seating arrangements at the movies. And um, and and we're, we're, we're playing catch up on that, which hopefully doesn't push out our review of eighth grade a little bit, but it might do, we might have to do a little bit of reshuffling. We'll figure it out. We'll <laughs> shuffle the deck. We'll shuffle all the decks. Matt, can you tell us what uh, Sorry to Bother You is about? I sure can. IMDb describes this film as... In an alternative, present-day version of Oakland, telemarketer Cassius Green discovers a magical key to professional success, propelling him into a macabre universe. Mm. Uh, it's an interesting thing is if you look up in the Wikipedia for this pay, for this film as well, it it listed as a science fiction movie, and I was curious what you guys yeah. just initially before we even start the review think about that. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, th- Matt seal of approval. Boom. Yeah, I mean it. It. it it, it goes. It it doesn't it doesn't have to have needed to go into that genre, but it does. Minor spoiler, and then mm-hmm. it's that's what it is. Okay. You can't you can't like dip your t- you can't have the last act of a film become science fiction and not have it be science fiction because yeah. science fiction is sort of like that weird sort of build. And the second you start like putting you know your claws into a trope, yeah. you're there. So, like, say if Sleepless in Seattle was, like, Sleepless in Seattle, but at the very end when they're on the top of the Empire State Building, it flies off into space, but would like, that now be a science fiction movie? No, that'd be, like, a weird stinger. Like, I think, honestly, I think it's a, if, you, if a third of your movie deals with 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 the science fiction tropes, yeah. you're a science fiction movie. All right. Yeah, I did a light Google before I watched it and saw science fiction, and then, yeah, it was, like, halfway through, I was, like, I don't think this is science fiction and then by the end i was like yeah minor spoiler i was like oh yeah okay i'll accept yeah all right one thing i remember uh, about jess being on the podcast that i absolutely loved as well is she always turns up with like an entire notepad filled. well i'm presuming i'm looking at this note 
notebook, and I, I'm presuming it's entirely filled. Right? Tell, tell him the story. In the most beautiful handwriting, by the way. Oh, I already know you. the story. Mm-hmm. I know the story, but tell Shahir the story of your notepad. The story of the notepad is that I didn't come to New York City with a notepad. I oh, my God. Bought... Did we buy that for you as well? I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look under your, your uh, laptop. God, there's the expenses a, there's a of this podcast yeah. are yeah. really going <laughs> <laughs> Um No, I went and saw it, and then I, I immediately like met my friend after. And so before he got there, I was like texting him. I was like um, writing notes in my phone. And you know, I don't like that. I like the, the tangible notes. Um, trying to like just like spew out everything I could think of before he got there. And then as soon as that lunch was over, I like ran to Dwayne Reed and grabbed a notebook. And I was like, <laughs> I need, I, I need to like, that's because I'm a visual processor. And gotcha. so it's also how like I understand things yeah. too. Is like, that's like me sorting it out. <laughs> well, um, I, hope, I hope you kept your receipt. <laughs> I, I, I definitely did. Yeah, it's, it's going to be delivered dollar, to us. $1.59. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, oh, got, well, got uh, you know, we are high rollers here at the Only Movie Podcast. <laughs> Well, shall we, in the spirit of hospitality, uh, shall you go first with your first uh, first opinions on this movie? My, okay. Here are my first opinions. I, I think the first thing that I asked Matt was whenever he brought this up to me just last night, because yeah. this, this was all very sudden. It was all very sudden. We went out to dinner because she was in town, uh-huh. and then I was like, oh, well, Shahir doesn't know which day he can do yet, and Jess is like, well, I can do Thursday. We're recording this on Thursday. And <laughs> I was uh, like, tomorrow? Uh, yeah, and then we're like, yeah, so this all came together <laughs> yeah. very quickly. Hence, no notebook and all that, Jess. Yeah, and so um, I think what I asked you, I was like, I, 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 the only familiarity I had with this was I worked the movie, uh, the MTV Movie Awards red carpet, yeah. mm-hmm. and Lakeith and Tessa Thompson walk the carpet. And yeah. so that was the only knowledge of this film that I had, but I hadn't really heard anything else about it. And when I asked you, it was like, is this an indie film? Right. And you were like, yes. Yeah. And like, and so then I thought all day about it after I'd seen it is would I consider this an indie film? And then yeah, yes. Because then also it leaned into the question of like what constitutes an indie film versus like a mainstream film. Right. And I actually, my favorite like philosopher in the world uh, just did a talk on this. Like I just like heard it like last week and it's the idea that um, a mainstream pop film is all about idealization and like fantasy Mm -hmm. Um, and an indie film is all about sublimation, which is like the Freudian concept of like how you process like the, the intertwining of the, of beauty and ugly. So it's like, so it's like how you're happy with something even though it's not perfect. Right. So sure. And accepting s- the reality that you have yes. versus fantasizing about the reality you aspire to. Yes. But to be fair, I will say I do that exercise with big popcorn movies all the time to uh-huh. still enjoy them because I know there's some ugly bits in there too and I'm like, well, no, I'll just, I'll, yeah, but I like that philosophy. Yeah, and so when I looked at it by that definition, I felt like, I was like, oh, this is like very like textbook, like indie movie. Um, and so... I want to talk to, and I'll, I'll like kind of hold off because this is just first impressions. Yeah. Um, but I appreciated what it did as um, a platform, like a, as art. Um, I respected that it um, had like all of these little messages and and very like nuanced um, things. But at the same time, like I was, I'm not necessarily someone that like loves an indie movie because I'm very sensitive and it makes me uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um and i kind of like when i see something like this like i feel it for like a few days it like stays with me okay and so i liked it because i understood what it was trying to do but at the same time like i probably wouldn't see it again because i'm not someone that like super loves that kind of like being confronted with like that kind of like suffering and and stuff okay what was the kind of suffering that 
just just you know with spoilers without any spoilers like what did it, what did what did it bring up in you that made you uncomfortable um okay so i think the first thing like right off the bat is he like clearly is like a character that is um in an existential like identity crisis yeah um he's he like right from the very beginning um and that like does that thing of like it makes you you then immediately start like reflecting on yourself there's also all kinds of like social and economic like things that it makes you look at and like how you um like how he was dealing with like not having money but he just so badly wanted success and he just wanted a job and like all that kind of stuff like it brings up all that kind of stuff it's very very relatable like it's Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff that like you deal with and then he had to deal with um this is not super spoilery, but like then whenever he did get a little success, like how you orient yourself with your like old friends, whenever you start having something that you didn't have that they're trying to have. Um, and then all like, there's like the, um, the social aspect when it gets like super weird and sci-fi yeah. at the end too. Okay. Yeah. What about you Shahir? Um, so I, I guess, um, just coming back to that sort of <laughs> seat anarchy problem that I had, <laughs> oh, no. uh, for listeners who, who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, in the, in the previous episode, I, I told a long story about how I went to see this movie, uh, but, uh, but had my seating arrangements messed up. I was sold the, uh, wheelchair seat, which is not actually a seat. Aww. And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, was trying to find a seat, you know, jumping around the theater and ended up, it was a full theater, so I couldn't get a seat and I, um, uh, ended up seeing it. Uh, just this week in an almost empty theater. Yeah. And I will say this. I feel like I had... I feel like this is a movie to see with a big crowd. And this is a movie that I feel like as I watched it, I was like, oh, I kind of wish I was in with a large crowd watching this to kind of experience the reactions that people would have to certain moments in this movie. Um, So so there was that initially, because I I will say, you know, just up front, if it, uh, I think primarily it's being sold as a comedy. I didn't laugh a hell of a lot. Uh, There were moments, I was definitely engaged and and interested in what was happening, but I I can't say that I was um, tickled, you know, by the actual comedy that was happening. The other thing that I was thinking about a lot um, as I watched this film, and there's a really great article written by... um, uh, Beandra July for the Hollywood Reporter about mm. um, about this movie, uh, and the article was called um, "Boots Riley Makes Needed Room for Black Weirdness," um, and I was thinking a lot about me as a consumer of films and a you know a, a critic of films, and one of the things that I remember as as a film student you know was like trying to have like sort of a uh, a set paradigm for how I think and view films, you know, mm. that that is mm-hmm. consistent so that I can when you know when I'm when I'm looking at a film, I have a sort of way of thinking about it uh, that works for me. And I remember when I was uh, uh, younger, there was a film that I saw uh, by uh, a French filmmaker by the name of Oliver Sayers, and the film was called Demon Lover. And it was the first time in a long time where I saw a film where I was like, my paradigm for thinking about this film doesn't match what the film is actually doing. Hmm. And and uh, you know, and I have to change the way I'm thinking in order to to read the film correctly because the things that I'm think that I'm looking for are not what the film is interested in. Mm-hmm. And that was an experience that I kind of felt uh, for the first time in a long time watching this movie, which is that my paradigm for what I'm looking for uh, in a way doesn't quite match what this film is, is actually doing. Yeah. And and once I kind of reconciled that there was this sort of initial feeling of, oh, I'm not necessarily 
engaging with this film, but I am interested in what it's doing and mm -hmm. I am liking what it's doing. Then I started to come around to a little bit more. And it was a, it's a post sort of reconciliation that happens. Mm -hmm. I will still say, you know, from my sort of paradigm, my, my initial paradigm of thinking, um, I, I did enjoy the film. I enjoyed the boldness of the film. I enjoyed the oddity of it all. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, that that Beander July article um, uh, about black weirdness, I think, is really on point about the necessity. And I think, you know, something like a show like Atlanta mm -hmm. kind of points to as well, where there isn't a lot of shows about the African-American experience that isn't that 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 doesn't necessarily have to be grounded in a in sort of like the the dire reality that we live in. So mm -hmm. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, but but I found, I guess, if we're looking at it as a social satire, mm -hmm. I found that the satire was pointing at a lot of different things. There was, a, there was kind of a lot yes. of different ideas. Yes. You know, it's almost bursting at the seams with different ideas about different uh, concepts, you know, to deal with... Uh, with race, capitalism, uh, employment, you know, slavery comes up a lot in this movie. Unionizing. Uh, yeah, unionizing, friendships, you know, uh, um, and even to the point of, <laughs> no, I'm not going to say what that is because that is a spoiler. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and I will, I, I, I generally found that I, I wish that the satire in this film was more pointed. Mm -hmm. So in, in that it served more of a singular story that that had a real clear definition of what it was trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, I think this film does say a lot and it has a lot on its mind. Uh, and all of those things are very interesting. I just found personally that the story, that, that as a singular experience, it didn't quite all connect into, into something that I like. But, but... Like when I saw Demon Lover, uh, which is a film that doesn't conform to that kind of necessarily like pointed thinking because that's what the f film is about. Mm -hmm. I actually did, there was something about this film where I found that that desire for a single narrative experience wasn't necessarily as important. Mm -hmm. um, the, maybe I'll, I'll sum that up by saying this. This film starts off fairly normal and then gets weirder and weirder and weirder the more it gets on. Mm -hmm. I really love the weird stuff. I thought the weird stuff that I'm, again, you know, avoiding for, mm -hmm. for the sake of spoiler, yeah. uh, the, the surrealism, the magical realism, I found all that stuff delightful and wonderful and really well considered. But I found it took a long time to get there. And until we got there, I was kind of, you know, ho-hum about... Um, uh, Lakeith Stanfield's existential crisis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like uh, the the sort of unionizing thing, the 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 um, the way in which you know employment and jobs kind of dehumanize people and stuff. I, I that's that's there. It's interesting. I will say it was kind of like the way I would describe it is kind of office office space meets South Park somewhere. You know that that's kind of where yeah. I sort of sort of saw the film, and I love the South Park stuff. Uh -huh. um, so. That was kind of my overall experience. I think okay. there's a lot to dive into and a lot to talk yeah. about in spoilers. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's how I feel too. It's like it, I'm biting my tongue because yeah. it, it reframed itself a lot. It's yeah. like every so often it would shift and it would change how you – it's like, oh, this movie is – it's not this kind of movie. It's this kind of movie. Yeah, And exactly. then it did that a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. I, I only saw it do that once. 
Okay. And we'll get mm-hmm. into sort of what that is. I'll just, I'll real quick, because I know we're going over the, uh, the, my first impressions are I dug the shit out of this, mm-hmm. uh, even though I have a bunch of problems with it, but mm-hmm. I'll always side with a film that tries something uh, interesting and cool mm-hmm. over a film that just plays it safe and is super boring. Uh, I would describe this as Scott Pilgrim with a shotgun. Uh, Scott Pilgrim, uh, it has the sort of manicness that Scott Pilgrim had yeah. in the sort of, the, but, but with Scott Pilgrim, uh, it was dealing with one specific issue, and that was Scott's psyche and dealing with his how he handles actually relationships and falling in love and what he even thinks love actually is and what he put he, he puts value on. This, like you said, Jahir, and the reason I use a, a, the analogy of a shotgun is because there is no one point here. This is a shotgun blast of of um, reasoning, of causes, of ideologies, and it's it's cramming as much as there is humanly possible as it can into its runtime. I think it is. It helps with its sort of manic, you know, of, you know overwhelming the senses at certain points, um, you know, feeling it wants to give you, but it definitely doesn't have the precision to actually hit more than maybe one or two of its points it's trying to get across home. Yeah. Um, and I I think it's it's this is his feature. Uh, um, this is Boots' feature film debut, correct? Because yes. I mean, I was looking about IMDb, and I think the last sort of well, one of the things I noticed is he was had two tracks on the Superbad soundtrack. He's a he's a very established musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah really, like you know, very prolific in the hip hop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but as far as you know, cin- you know, making cinema, this is his first big and and first his for this to be his first movie is nuts. Yeah. yeah, like in a good, good, great way. Yeah. Um, I I do want to see this film again mm-hmm. because I do feel like the third act where it dips into sci-fi and we'll get into it in spoilers did retch me away from it's funny you were into that Shahir you were into that sort of stuff I was way more into because the first two thirds is what I would call sort of a building magical realism sense yeah. to it um, and then it goes straight on fantasy like sci-fi fantasy yeah. and when it did the twist into that I felt like it was and this I hope this doesn't come off as um, pedantic, but like it felt like that's someone who hadn't someone constructed this who hadn't constructed a lot of stories this complex on such a scale before. It felt like they wanted to get all the ideas in as quickly as possible, and then by, by or sorry, they had so many ideas that the the movie moved along a little faster than they wanted the actual ideas to come, and then by the time they got to a point, maybe in either editing or filmmaking or whatever, they're like, oh shit, and then like had to get to the next thing, which changes the whole game. It, it felt it felt a little disjointed as far as structure is concerned. Now again, I don't particularly care because it was a super fun ride overall, mm-hmm. but I was more on board with the first two thirds of the film um, than the than the last third. So I think we should we should call it at this point and say we are officially going to talk about spoilers. And there is, if you haven't seen the film at this point, there is a particular spoiler that we're going to go into that you should not you should absolutely not know about. Yeah. Walking into this movie. Yeah, because I had no clue. And, yeah. and and I went and watched the trailers after the movie. I you know this is a movie I really wanted to see, so I avoided all the trailers. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this is a spoiler that is not hinted at uh, in the trailers at all. Kudos, yeah. kudos to the marketing department yeah. for having some fucking restraint. 
and making a special movie going experience. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was just really wonderful. So uh, spoilers from this moment for it. And I think uh, we're going to be talking about some horses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Equ- equine sapiens? Equine sapiens. Equisapiens. Equi- what does that play? Equus? Uh, oh, sure. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. And Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe was, yeah. did it in New York. Yeah. We're going to be talking about some horse cocks. But uh, <laughs> I mean, we don't have to just talk about the. We could talk about the, what they represent. Oh, that's all I focus on. You know, when I said I love the the thing, that's what I. Oh, okay. it all makes sense. <laughs> it all makes sense now. <laughs> no, um, uh, there's a couple of things there. I, you know, um, in terms of the film, you know, this is that sort of thing about paradigms uh, mm-hmm. that I was thinking about because uh, another film um, like this that I thought about was Donnie Darko, which is a mm-hmm. first time film that has a lot of ideas in it, a lot of ideas. And I, and and when I watched Donnie Darko, I remember I watched it back to back with Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. and 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 as I watched Donnie Darko, I kind of went. The thinking I had was, I kind of wish an older filmmaker had made this film because they would streamline it a little more. Mm-hmm. But the other half of me was going, but I kind of dig the rock and roll, the kind of punk aesthetic of a young filmmaker mm-hmm. kind of jumping in and giving a jolt to something. And yeah. I was like, and I think the older filmmaker paradigm would be like kind of giving me what I expected where and in a sort of a cleaner way. And so that thing about Boots Riley kind of, you know, it's his first film and, and you know, streamlining, I kind of dig that it's his first film. And I kind of dig the sort of weirdness and and strange direction of it all and the and the change in tones and the the oddity. I think, you know, like you mm-hmm. as an experience, I was kind of a little bit taken away from the film in terms of seeing it as a singular experience. But I dug it. Mm-hmm. I, d- I dug that side of it. So it's a very sort of like middle of the road kind of assessment. But I but I did really enjoy his visual sense, his timing, his sense of story. You know, there's like there's a moment in the middle of the film where they have kind of like a a yo mama battle with Jermaine Fowler and Lakeith oh, Stanfield. Oh, Jermaine but Fowler. It, but it's like a it's like a uh, yo mama is the best kind of you know yeah. compliment. It was a compliment. Yeah, on. That was yeah. really fun. Yeah. And I was like, that is the sort of Odd, uh, humorous thing that could only come from this filmmaker yeah. in this in this particular film, and that's what I love about it. It was really it. refreshing. Yeah, yeah it and was kind of a straight. It's, it's not hinted at. Yeah, you know, like there's no setup for it. There's no uh, payoff for it. But yeah. I loved it. A real yeah. quick, a real quick aside about Jermaine Fowler because I love that man. We mm-hmm. worked with him on the Code shows. Je- both Jess and I did. Uh, yeah. And uh, he's a phenomenal dude. I'm so happy that um, you know Superior Donuts was going on his yeah. show, and then also now this. I wanted more from him like because yeah. I, I know how fucking funny he is yeah. and I was like waiting for the the first time you see him in the film is when uh, the main character is interviewing for the um, for mm-hmm. the telemarketing job and there's a very and again this is like it, it's very Scott Pilgrim for like the first 15 minutes and then it just stops trying uh, not trying to be but just it's it goes in its own total thing but there's this moment where it pans over when it references that Jermaine Fowler's character already did the same thing or like they called or whatever and it's just him in the window real quick after a whip pan and he like goes back smiling and I was like there's fucking Jermaine I was like I didn't even realize he was in the film uh-huh. and so I was super pumped Jermaine buddy we still have to play Mortal Kombat it's been like it's been like a year at this point the challenge is still on the table um, so yeah I, I really wanted more 
Uh, yeah. I wanted to see him more, but um, he all the especially the the, the nice yo mama stuff was was a, a delight. Um, anyway, sorry we de- I derailed just because I, <laughs> I whatever code fams are in any of these movies I'm fucking pumped for them. Yeah, um, in it a lot too. Yeah, yeah, and and I I really enjoyed him and I, I enjoyed it. And that's the other thing, you know, just sort of a, on a real surface level. This has got this film's got one hell of a cast. Yeah, uh, a lot of people, a lot of voices that you might recognize. Yeah, um, a lot of like cameos from people like W. Kamu Bell like just drops in mm-hmm. he's like there for mm-hmm. one scene um i i loved what i what i got the sense of and i and uh i, I actually have to shout out my friend bogdan um bogdan, bogdan. yeah he's a great dude oh, uh, i, I had bogdan. lunch with him today he went to a talk with boots riley uh about this film and uh, bogdan was kind enough to kind of like fill me in on the on the details of how this film got made secondhand from boots riley that conversation between those two men I would die to hear <laughs> between Bo- Bogdan and Boots Riley because right, yeah. because just I knowing knowing Bogdan's personality yeah. and assuming Boots' <laughs> personality, I would just I could stay there all day. Yeah, no, I mean, and I you know like I love uh, I love chatting with Bogdan, but uh, he kind of filled me in on the backstory of like how Boots uh, wrote this film in 2012, uh, wanted to make it originally for like fifty thousand dollars or something like that with some friends, you know, because it's such an odd kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't get it made, couldn't get anyone to read it. And then passed it on to Dave Eggers. Now, if you remember from Leave No Trace review, Dave Eggers was the guy who wrote the op-ed about the lack of culture in the White House. Um, you know, and he's also the editor of McSweeney's, very uh, talented writer. Hmm. Um, and uh, he he sort of bumped into Boots Riley, bumped into Dave Eggers, and and said, "Hey, would you read this?" And for some reason, out of all the people who took the script and didn't read it, Dave Eggers, you know, took the script and read it and said, "I love this. I want to publish it because I know you're trying to get it made, but we're not, you know, necessarily." I have no connections in that way. Well, actually, he does, but um, but he published it in McSweeney's, and they actually published a book version of of the screenplay. Hmm. Uh, and lots of people read the screenplay and thought it was amazing. It appeared uh-huh. on like the blacklist a number of times. Uh, and you know, and then Boots went out and you know wrote the album to go with it. Uh, and so it kind of had this like odd construction. And I think Forrest Whitaker came on a little bit later yeah. on. He was uh, a, yeah, he was a producer on it. Yeah, and also the voice of of, of one of our equine uh, heroes. Oh yeah. Um, and so it, it, this film has had this like long tumultuous mm-hmm. path to getting made, but I feel like, you know, kind of uh, like when we talked about Hereditary, it felt like a film that had the on-the-ground support from everyone around it to allow it to dip into the mm-hmm. weirdness that it was going to go into. Yeah. So I kind of, uh, as much as I, you know, had that thing about, you know, it's 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 lack of pointedness. Uh, I kind of dug it for that as well. I don't know how you guys felt about that. Yeah, I um I wrote down because I was looking at an, another article about Boots Riley and like his process with like getting this picked up, and he had the same twenty three word pitch that he used over <laughs> and over and over, and it was it's an absurdist absurdist dark comedy with magical realism and science fiction inspired by the world of telemarketing. <laughs> um, and I could tell like I so I like consume philosophy like in high volume and. Yeah. I like give, sort of like fumble around one of them and I try to like regurgitate it back because I'm like, I, 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 I love, 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 like just like learning about that kind of stuff. And yeah. I could tell like he, um, he's like definitely like very philosophical and like a lot of the language in the, in mm-hmm. that interview. Um, and then this idea of the abs- absurd is, um, was interesting because I thought that the girlfriend so the the absurd is like whenever you it's kind of like i was talking about with like sublimation is like whenever you kind of like lean into 
um, like the 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 muckiness yeah. of things mm-hmm. and sort of like embrace the ride, like embracing the journey rather than the destination, like that kind of thing. And I thought that what Tessa Thompson's character, the girlfriend, represented Detroit was sort of like that rebel heart. Yeah. Like she was just like very, very content in like not having what she wanted. She was the anarchist of the pair, right? Like he was he was much more of a conformist. As soon mm-hmm. as he got as soon as he got paid, he was quite content. Where she yeah found that kind of troubling, yeah. you know, uh, ethically and existentially. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 there's that scene, that wonderful scene where she gives her performance, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with sheep's blood in, in balloons and yeah. cell phones being thrown at her. And, and I, I think there's a lot of layers to that scene yeah. because, you know, like when he, you know, she's been complaining about his white voice, for example. And then when we walk into that scene, she actually has this sort of mm-hmm. British affectation yeah. that she's using as an yeah. artist. So there's a contradiction, but then she is really fully embraced in like the non capitalist, non-consumerist version of art that she produces. And that's yes. why it's not conflicting, I feel like. That's why she's using the same tools he's using, but in her mind, she's using it for something for good that doesn't hurt anybody except yeah. for her. Yeah. And then in in her mind, what he's doing is using the same type of affectations to l- do better himself but hurt other people. Yeah, I, I, I would also venture to guess that as a character, I, I think she would find there to be something comic about the fact that she's using a British affectation. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. she would hide it. Like, he, you know, like, I don't think she would actually, I think it's part of her performance. Yeah, it's the exact opposite. They're yeah. using yeah. the same tool, but using it for an opposite way and an opposite effect. And did yeah. you catch that even before she got on stage when she was talking to people, yeah. that she was using it before then too? Yeah, so she was definitely using it as like a tool yeah. before, it's like her, it's almost as if her performance started whenever that event began, yeah, rather because, than like, rather than she got on stage. Because that's the only time you see it, yeah. right? That's the only time in the film that you yeah. see her doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah I, I love that kind of aspect of it. Like what else? What else spoke to you in the film? Even if even if it was difficult to watch or difficult to kind of yeah. So okay, because it's a dark comedy, you know the dif- so the difference I wrote in my notes is like the difference between um, a comedy and like a tragedy or like a drama is like the um, the the main character doesn't know that they're being an idiot. And like, that's kind of what's funny about it is like, they don't acknowledge the knowledge that they have. Like he, he he's, you see him processing, like you see him adapting white voice and he like clearly thinks it's like in the beginning, he's just like, that's stupid, yeah. but he doesn't acknowledge it. And yeah. then he goes with it and he has like, I say idiot, but in, and not like the traditional way, because like there is like, you can tell that he knows, um, but he kind of like follows suit. Like every, he gets teed up to something that you know, that's not going to work out well for him. Yeah. And he still does it and he still does it. And, um, you know, in a, in a tragedy and a drama, the character has a reversal. Yeah. Um, and then, um, like I, I'm not super familiar with, um, the office, but I've heard that the arc of the office is that, um, he's sort of, I, I read here, like he's sort of, um, he's constantly humiliated. Yeah. Um, he knows that he's an idiot, but doesn't acknowledge it. Is this Michael Scott? Yeah. yeah. Yes. The, the, yeah. The American yes. show. Yeah. Um, and then when he comes to acknowledge it, um, in that acknowledgement, he becomes a character you can admire and respect. And I think it kind of, I know with the British version, like it kind of ends. Like yeah. once he acknowledges that he's an idiot, it kind of ends. Yeah. And this happens in this movie. He does, he does something 
that you know is going to be disaster and disaster and disaster. And he goes into this upper echelon of the telemarketing world. And you're just like, this isn't going to be good. And like he, you know, and he's confronted with, um, you know, it's, it's like not the world that he thought that it was going to be at all. And it's yeah. clearly like ridiculous, but he still does it. He still does it. And at the very end, I think it's whenever he's sitting there with Army Hammer when he's telling him about his plan to have him be the mm. the, the Malcolm the, the, yeah, the, no, the Martin, Martin Luther King, King of, of horse people. Yeah. That's whenever he is just like, this is absurd. Yeah. And then that's the moment where I think you get that shift where it's like he's acknowledged that was his breaking point. Yeah. And then he becomes more heroic because yeah. then he starts trying to do the right thing. And, and someone you admire. And he instigates the 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 resistance, so to speak, in, yeah. uh, on this. Yeah. So there was something interesting that I really I, – I, I, I liked something that was going on, especially in the big chaotic third act that I didn't particularly love as much as the first two acts. But yeah. what I did love about it was, and again, I'm going to spoil the end end of the movie right now, just in case. Yeah. If there no, you know, just, you know, warning you. Um, at the end of the film, when everything sort of goes back and he's, you know, whatever, they've toppled the thing and they get their union or whatever. And uh, he closes his garage door to go home with Tessa Thompson. Uh the he closes it and he hits his nose and he starts to become one of the horse people and now it's interesting and then that's the end of the film until like a very quick mid-credits uh scene Mm -hmm. now i was like when that happened and it went to credits i was like he signed the papers yeah like i thought he went forward with the plan of Uh bastard army hammer going on and i was like holy shit because that's how it would all play out that's how he'd want it to play out go work with these people do like have a moment of like unity so you gain their trust then become one then you're going to destroy it i was like this is like some weird this fucking like this is a master evil plan but then the I, i bet you they thought that that would might be what what people thought would would be going on with yeah. just that ending, so they tack on the other thing of him attacking Army Hammer in his house. So you know for a fact that he is not actually with him. But it could, you know, it's also the case that ultimately he kind of does become the the Martin Luther King of the horse people. I guess mm-hmm. maybe in that sense, you know, he's the leader in some way. Uh, it's just that it, the plan backfires on Army Hammer. I, I think that's an interesting reading of it as well. I think that's a that's a really interesting way to read the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I think I think the thing that you were talking about, um, Jess, was well, is this sort of journey from conformist to anarchist. Mm-hmm. You know, like the sense of like I want to live within the society as as the rules or uh, pertain to me, yeah. but realizing slowly that that doing that requires the loss of autonomy and the loss of identity, which is, you know, embodied by white voice, you know, like mm-hmm. the loss of like, who am I and what is my voice in this society? And and he slowly has to lose that more and more. Like when mm-hmm. he becomes uh, a power caller, the, you know, the first thing that he's told is there's, you know, only white voice up here. Mm-hmm. So there's not even, you know, there's not even, we, we don't just put it on for the calls. When you're in this space, mm-hmm. uh, you are always in white voice. You have yeah. to be voiced by Patton Oswald and David Cross. Yeah, exactly. Which <laughs> yeah. I think is actually really, it's really fascinating. I think to me, that's when the wheels start turning for yeah. him. Uh, and slowly the film becomes like a journey into, you know, realizing that anarchy is a kind of, is a more, uh, appropriate response when the system doesn't work for you. Yeah, yeah. He like is in pursuit of identity and then has like this like very like like fast tracked like kind of like adolescent period of yeah. just like be this person, be this person. And then mm-hmm. he starts putting those masks on and then it's just like this doesn't work, this doesn't work. And then he kind of does what you see Tessa Thompson's character do and he then he kind of like leans into this can be okay just being like messed up right and it's what i love as well is that his his version of 
I don't think he sees it as performance art, but but the the film kind of mirrors these two actions mm-hmm. as her performance art with him going on the television show mm-hmm. uh, to kind of show this video, and he gets abused, beaten yeah. up, yeah. Uh, and then you know like dunked in shit, and then and then you know like presents this video, which ultimately, like her performance piece, doesn't really change anything. Yeah, you know like there's 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 some you know people are kind of like oh okay that's interesting, which I think is another sort of pointed commentary that this film has of the yeah. day and age that we live in. I mean. <laughs> Even from the beginning of this film, something I really loved about it, I think it's a reason why I liked, the again, the first two-thirds more, is the world building is front and center. and Well, maybe not front and center might be the wrong word. The world building is present from the mm-hmm. from the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. You see billboards for um, the, the slavery company. Yeah. Um, uh, worry-free. Worry-free, where yeah. you get to just go and get a, a garbage wage and they put you in bunk bed housing and they uh, they feed you and then you don't so have to worry about it. So pretty much the way we all live and work right now, right? I, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, pretty much living in New York City. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. <laughs> Middle class living uh, except in New York City. It, you know, it's a little bit more. Uh, actually, I'd say it's a lot a bit more worse. I'm I'm being ironic. Okay, um, <laughs> but the so like, and then you see the billboards. Then you see uh, the, the one of the dropped. There's two or three dropped plot points because again, this movie is chalked to the brim of just stuff. Yeah. Of the the revolutionaries or the people that are sort of like quietly fighting back. Yeah. Uh, the left eyes. You stop yeah. seeing references to left eyes and who are left eyes, but then you think Tessa Thompson's character is a left eye and that she is, but then it doesn't really matter because then she goes with the the people who want to unionize. Then that sort of like anarchist thing kind of goes a little bit away. Yeah, the left eye thing fizzles out. Fizzles out. Yeah. Uh, but but Unless like they're part of the final. But they bat- but, but they're yeah. not. I mean, I mean they, they might be. I mean, sure, but they don't like. There's a lot of things that this movie gives time to. Yeah. With dialogue and references and things that then it just because there's so much else going on that it deems more important it pushes the side another thing unless someone could give me a read on this and maybe sort of uh fix my what my crossed wires the love triangle quote unquote yeah. um between um you know tessa thompson main character and um squeeze steven yeah. 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 uh it it like moves to a point and then it just doesn't yeah it doesn't because, seem to amount to because the movie much. realizes that it doesn't care about it like yeah. the movie that you know and maybe that's a strength the mm. movie goes through its own thing and tries a bunch of stuff and then it's like oh yeah I like option six and then yeah. it like goes that direction then yeah. it's like you've reached nine more doors and it's like well I'm gonna go through the fucking tangerine one and then it goes through that like it's it's definitely a splintery sort of tree narrative as opposed to like I don't know if when this was written yeah. it, it feels like it, no, no, I'm sorry not not chronologically I mean when uh, the w- during the act of writing it <laughs> I don't know if it actually like the the author knew the end do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it feels like something where it's like, okay, let's do I, this. Let's spiral. Let's spiral. <laughs> yeah. I think they were trying to do the thing of going to, like, my very, like, now that I'm thinking this is, like, a very formulaic, like, indie movie, is, like, the idea of exposing and breaking the fantasy on every front. Like, they yeah. did it everywhere else, and so they had to do it in the relationship. Like, the relationship, that relationship could not go through and, like, be absolutely perfect. Yeah, because sure. It needed to follow that sort of like formula. I think. It just sort of fell away. It did. They mm-hmm. didn't do anything. With but it. here's the thing: is that in a if if the film was less provocative and less um, interested in doing intri- innovative things, or you know, like pretty unique ideas, you know, like in, in the world of surrealism or magical realism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If a film was any less of that, then we would. Ca- then I would. I would be really much more. Uh, uh, annoyed by the the lack of that relationship development, but because yeah. the film kind of like it doesn't just abandon that story; it abandons that story for a pretty amazing one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you no, know it, what I mean. And so it's like, oh, I and that's that thing about you know, I like the sort of 
punk rock kind of first time filmmaker. Sure. You know, All his like, eggs in one basket. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, like <laughs> I, I, that, that's actually a thing I really love about uh, watching first time filmmakers. Sometimes mm-hmm. is like the sense that I, I feel like it's it's kind of my philosophy on filmmaking. Uh, although I don't necessarily f- follow it every time, but like I kind of feel like every time I make something it should be as though I'm never going to make anything again. And like, you know, I've got to give, I, I've got to throw everything I've got at this as though this might be the last thing I make. Yeah. And I kind of yeah. feel that's, that's something that's true of this film, which is that it, there's, it's, it's almost unrestrained. And, yeah. and, but, but the, the amazing thing is I've seen unrestrained films before that go way off the, way off the rails and completely derail. This never gets quite derailed. Mm-hmm. This stays for the most part on an interesting track. Again, you know, uh, you know, maybe if he had another round at this or something like that, it would become even more pointed. But I don't. But maybe it'd be less interesting as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to either the you know I keep using shotgun or tree branches, but like I do think it was a here's the script going and here's six possibilities. It's actually God, I can't believe I'm going to use this analogy. It's actually very quantum physics ish, <laughs> and by that I mean you know light is both a particle and a wave, and you mm-hmm. you know uh, you know technically the, if you're I gotta simplify this real quick or I'm gonna go down a real rabbit hole, but like um you know it's a, it's a wave of possibility, and yeah. you don't really realize where light will hit. Like if you're doing a double slit experiment or etc., you uh-huh. can't uh, you will never know where the light particle goes, or it won't justify until something perceives it. Yes. Oh my gosh, I just was reading about this. Yeah. It's, it's the idea that it's uh that it's participa- participatory. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But that also, if light is that way, then mm-hmm. you have to think of actually most all matter is probably that. So most everything is not just a simple thing, but a wave of possibilities depending on what you're talking about. Anyway, mm-hmm. the point being this film really feels like that because yeah. it feels like the film itself does a bunch of stuff that notices a thing and it's like that's what we're doing yeah. and then it does a bunch more stuff in that direction that it notices a thing and it might be a different direction so that's very interesting and something I hadn't seen um, done to done to this level before and by this level I mean if you looked at this, like if you took away the style and the sort of meaning behind this thing and you just looked at it from a structure perspective, you'd be like, ugh. Yeah. But because those two things are huge in what the movie wants to focus on, uh, both style and meaning, you don't care. Like yeah. you don't really care that these things don't justify. You don't really care mm-hmm. that it's not wrapped up in a nice little neat bow. And that's something that to get to get me not to actually care about that stuff is I find that incredibly impressive and that's a skill that most films uh that do this don't don't work for me so mm-hmm. yeah um I thought what was interesting is um going back to the idea of like the the how they every single time there was like a like a fantasy or like a good moment they would break it. Like, I've, like, have you seen, of course you have, but Austin Powers. Yeah. Like whenever, <laughs> <laughs> like whenever they, whenever the bad guys get the, get the money. Yeah. Um, they do this thing. It's like any other movie, whenever they get what they wanted, the scene would have ended. Yeah. But it exposes like the, what it's like five minutes later once yeah. you get yeah. the fantasy yeah. And, yeah. and they start doing that thing where they're like laughing and then they're coughing and then it's just like very awkward and they're like, looking at each other. <laughs> this like, It's okay. So it's like what the rule of art is that it takes something uncomfortable to watch and makes it bearable. Like if it's doing its job, it takes something that like like what we were talking about in the beginning that that's that kind of like confronts you with something to think about for yourself. But then it it takes it and and there's relief. And in this, it's comedy. So and it's like every single time 
it broke the fantasy every single time. And I think like the very first one was whenever he's he's in the interview and he's going through like his <laughs> list and you're like, oh, this guy's got it together. He's got his trophy. <laughs> and then it's just like, but you never did that job because I was there and that trophy's bunk. And then you're just like, oh, and then, it, but then it has like kind of like a funny little, little moment. Which is like, Fowler. yeah, yeah. And then it goes to in the bedroom, like he's got his girl, like they're about to get it on. And then the garage door like yeah. goes up and that's like this humiliating thing. Mm -hmm. And then, but then they have comedy to cover it up. And it's just like every time there's like an uncomfortable moment like that, they, they, the comedy I felt like was well placed and yeah. that they gave it some relief. It's like every time I just got like a little like, Ooh, like they, <laughs> yeah. there was something funny there to like, kind of like as a release valve. So let's let's talk a little bit about the the uh, the issues that this film kind of has on its mind, mm -hmm. you know, so we can get a little specific about it. I mean, the obviously the 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 correlation between modern capitalism and slavery is something very foregrounded in mm -hmm. this movie. It's mm -hmm. it's very much at the at the heart of what this film is, which is which is to say that 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 um, modern employment dehumanizes people to the point of slavery, mm -hmm. and even to the point of where uh, human lives are no longer as valuable as your body is if it can be transformed into a horse. You know, yeah. like and and that's the the kind of the the point that that gets it that I think is most foregrounded in this movie. I mean, how did you guys feel about the way in which this film treated messaging? You know, like the way the the the, the certain issues that it that it really did have at the heart of at the at the heart of what it was trying to say. Mm -hmm. I think um, something it did that I found was doubly refreshing, uh, like double mint gum, uh, would be that it. This episode is born. My double mint gum. <laughs> <laughs> Shahir just swallowed it. It's yeah. so good. Um, the, Seven years. The, yeah. The, the weird thing is, so look at, let's let's take this. So obviously the battle uh, is, is against sort of like, you know, employment as slavery. And also another thing is sort of like the betterment of yourself at the expense of others. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. yeah. the interesting part I liked about it is no one in the film is actually innocent away from this. It's all just different levels or shades of it. For instance, the good guys are all posed as the people trying to unionize to fight back against the, the telemarketer company, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's screwing them out of wages and, and all that jazz, which is true. It's all true. But you can actually take it back a level. And what is their job? Their job is to swindle people out of their money selling them junk they don't need. Yeah. So it's still the same thing that even Cassius is going through just on like three steps down. Mm -hmm. And you have to justify in yourself what level of of uh, advantage taking of others are you comfortable with to live your life? Yeah. And this whole movie is like tears of that. No one is innocent. Right. Yeah. And, and no one is truly altruistic in this movie. In fact, the hero only becomes a hero after really abusing a ton of power and then sort of like it's it's yeah. it's very interesting that like there's no moral correctness well, here there's just variations that's also classic so classic like pop mainstream movie is like it's morally um black, and, black white. and white yeah. and then any movies are more like ambiguous it's mm. just like who the it's it's nothing about it's abstract and in, in, in a popular movie like the good guy kills the bad guy and then everything's okay and yeah. then yeah it's like this it's just like there was a moment when he's on the phone with um i think it was like the second woman that he called yeah, whose husband had just died yeah, yeah and you see him like sticking to the script yeah yep. <laughs> and like but but you like feel that too or it's just like yeah he, like he's got 
yeah, it goes back to like that idiot thing. Like he just like keeps like going against <laughs> the thing that he knows to do, but he doesn't do it. Yeah, and so and, and I think that's a, that's the that's one of the ideas that this film has, which is that you know the idea of sticking to the script mm-hmm. uh, is a form of dehumanization yeah. because it, because it removes autonomy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think you know like you know my experience of. Uh, broadly speaking, capitalism, but, you know, like more specifically interacting with bureaucracy is that notion that people lose their autonomy, lose their empathy in the face of obvious re- you know, mm-hmm. responses. Like if you're in that call and someone has husband has died, you, you, you know, any human being is like, no, okay, this is not the time to have that conversation. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry to have bothered so, you. Yeah. You know, please go about your day. But, 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 a removal of autonomy, you know, the sticking to the script, creating mm-hmm. an algorithm, creating us into worker horses, mm-hmm. dehumanizes us even further. And I think that's, you know, like that's my experience of like <laughs> when you go to the DMV, for example, you know, and you have to, you're like, there's a clear solution to this problem that if you just thought about outside of your rule book yeah. would make sense. But but because you have a rule book, you know, and I think that's something anyone who's worked in either modern bureaucracy or any company where you're, you know, like where you have like a methodology for approaching problems that is governed by a script or a, mm-hmm. a guidebook or a manual or something like that, where you're not essentially being creative yeah. has had to experience. I don't know if you got like, that's, yeah. that's something that I yeah. kind of feel very strongly it's, it's, about. It's the creativity is that what makes you human. Yeah. Like that's what like separates us from like other species is like, we are the only ones capable of, of the ability to not, be like what we are and also be to be empathetic and and have a moral imagination that extends to the person we're dealing with yeah 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 i think that's that's really interesting because it is it's like it's the lack of creativity that causes the inhumanity but we we live in a society that that ultimately uh moves forward off the back of autonomy (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know but back of the lack of autonomy you know like we all sit here with devices that were created on a factory line that require like almost machine like you know processing and that sort of thing yeah there's a certain percentage of our lives that's pushed forward by yeah by the machine what level of comfort in your own life are you willing to take and in order to make you're you're taking something and that means that someone else had to give it there's had to give something there's literally what is that a Heinlein thing there's no such thing as a free lunch like that's sort of the it's this thing where yeah there's no such thing as like you can't be gifted a thing really ever because that gift (laughs) did take work from another thing that is nowhere near connected to you like it there's always a cost of things that you get what what if what if um just as a sort of um contrarian view steve uh steve lift played by army hammer in this film such a delight (laughs) plays an entrepreneur who uh runs the worry free uh uh, cult whatever um and and has this plan for uh equine uh labor equisapiens equisapien labor yeah um what if the proposition that he has was an interest could that be an interesting proposition that he offers um that he offers uh uh cassius which is i i will pay you this much money for five years of your life and then once that five years is up you don't ever have to do this again yeah like what w- would that be an alternative model because right now what we have is is kind of uh you will just continually be paying for the rest of your life, you know, to live this life. But what if we you could do you could pay it all up front in five years, you know, of misery, but you know, that's it. You're talking high class indentured servitude. Yeah. Indentured servitude for a, a <laughs> But like but like posh. Yeah, yeah, like like enough to enough to never have to work again. Like what if what if that was the alternative model? And I, I don't think the film explores it. I'm no, just it I'm just positing that hypothetically. What if we would do it? 
Yeah. Jess? Would you no. would you become a horse? No. No. For five if, if you <laughs> Here's the thing. Army Hammer was an idiot too. Right. How's like, that? Because he's because he's very comedic and that he's like uh, insane <laughs> and like doesn't and like keeps like saying and doing obscene and it's funny because yeah. it's like oh he doesn't know he's an idiot. It's funny because he plays it straight. Yeah. Like everything is like just watch the video. Just watch the video. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. all makes sense. Just watch the and video. And then he hands him doesn't it have like a smiley face on it or something whenever he, he yeah, has like, oh, the, the amount the, the 100 down? million dollars has a smiley face yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, and and he he almost has a moment where he breaks it too, where he like um, he 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 does this thing whenever um, Cash really like that when he has his like kind of like epiphany yeah. of like this is crazy. Yeah. Um, where you see um, Army Hammer, Army Hammer's character, he he goes, "What? It's like it's not." It's not, I'm not crazy, am I? And he has this little bit of a moment and then he like dips into a tragic character because you're like, oh, he like kind of knows he's <laughs> like messed up. But I like didn't buy anything he was saying. I was like, he's just like, because he's also an idiot, he's just saying whatever he can and like made up this fake number to like get him to do the thing. Yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee that your five years would actually be five years. Oh, I didn't yeah. buy that for like a second. Yeah. No way, yeah. no way, no way. It's funny. There was because a... he also did trick him, right? Like he yeah. was like, I didn't, oh, I wouldn't give you... I I, didn't he say something like, I wouldn't give you the 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 formula unless I told you, bruh? Yeah. And then like, oh yeah. no, he actually did. And then he yeah. actually did. Yeah. yeah. Which again led me to believe that maybe it was part of the plan the whole. But the the there's an interesting thing. It was actually, I think, a tweet from someone today that basically was like it was talking about the current thing about um Elon Musk and how mm. he was an idiot on Twitter and uh now has apologized and yeah. all that jazz. And someone's like, What? You mean to tell me that the out-of-touch billionaire who mm. actually believes we're all living in a simulation isn't going to be um empathetic to the thoughts and, and feelings of others yeah. and it's like yeah yeah like once you become so detached you, there is a bit of you that becomes to a thing where it's like just watch the video look this all makes sense just watch the video but obviously none of that matters because we did elect a billionaire president who's clearly in touch with all of us right like he's in touch with well he's in touch with he's in touch with some people across the ocean yeah there you go um this movie hits a lot of different notes, and I guess I'll I'll um I'll kind of get into my final thought here. I I guess the bottom line is, I said it before, and I'll say it again. I think that it's better for a film to try a bunch of interesting stuff and then be able to keep your attention despite a couple. Mm -hmm. I, I would call it filmmaking faux pas. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even call it like mistakes. I yeah. I think it's just it's what this movie's supposed to be, and therefore it can't be a mistake. It's just yeah. you're going to experience it a little bit different, and I think it deals with a ton of uh, more issues than most any film actually has in recent memory. Mm -hmm. And it was refreshing, and honestly, it was it's it's Scott Pilgrim to the next level. I love the style <laughs> of Scott Pilgrim, but Scott Pilgrim is saying one specific thing. Yeah, this movie, it, it basically, a it's saying a lot of different things, and b the things that it's saying is far more important and pressing in our you know in our world. Mm -hmm. So you, and despite the fact that I I wasn't quite on board with the turn. Um, although, oh, side note, the last thing I'll say is what if, because the weird stuff only starts happening once he becomes the meme, once the soda mm -hmm. can hits him in the head and he has the bloody, the oh, bloody thing yeah. on his head. What if most of that shit is kind of all in his head? I thought that too. I went through, that was like the reframing thing Yeah, where it was like, whenever the, the, he's. The movie, as soon as like the dust start dropping into the ground, whenever he's doing telemarketing, yeah. mm -hmm. white voice was a reframing, um, that was a reframing because it's like, yeah, is he just like 
going like, nuts. Yeah. Does he have a concussion? Yeah. Uh, and I think that might have been a branching path that they that 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 once once the filmmakers perceived it, it did not actually occur. But that was something there it that could have. So anyway, it's it's a it's a web of quantum entangled possibilities, and I think you should go see it. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Shahir. Um, yeah, I think I I, I sort of prefaced this uh, up front, which is that the film for me personally required like a slight paradigm shift, which is, which is I think the thing you're talking about, which is, um, you know, obviously the the things that I look for in a film are sort of singular narrative experiences that where all uh, all narrative all narrative pathways lead down one path, uh, and this is not that. This is a a, a multi dimensional, multifaceted mm-hmm. experience, and and that in itself is. Interesting, refreshing. I I do have you know like as far as an experience goes, there are issues with it. There are problems with it. There are things I I can't say that you know the humor necessarily worked for me. I can't say that the satire was on point and as um as effective as I kind of wanted it to be. Um, you know, like I don't I don't think that the the sort of um condemnation of corporate culture goes much beyond things you would have seen before in films like office space for example mm-hmm. uh, or fight club or whatever um but but i think the the there is a sort of jolt of energy to this film uh and a and a sort of uh a worldview that this film offers which is so unique which is so unusual to mm-hmm. have in the movie theaters at this time and place yeah. that it is entirely you know in a way required viewing regardless of the experience not being uh, necessarily one that I would you know classify as like the great movies or anything like that but it is one that I thoroughly enjoyed and one that I thoroughly kind of you know for me the moment was once once it leaned into the 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 weirdness of it, of you know, like the just like really going for the oddities, the 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 going for the horse cock is kind of where I was like where I was really at the, into this movie. Um, so, but but you know uh, that that still makes it a wonderful experience, and and probably one in my mind will get stronger with repeat viewing. Yeah, because yeah. one where I'm kind of That's... set up, my expectations are set up slightly differently. Yeah, yeah. I guess if I rewatched it, I would rewatch it completely differently now that I know. How it ends, but yeah, it, it this movie is a prism, and so it's very hard to articulate because it is. It's so like there's just so much going on, um, but yeah, I, I think too, like you know, movies have a responsibility to sort of like reflect um, a messaging that is relevant and resonates with what's going on in the culture right now, and it does that. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I think that I think it's a good piece of art. I think it's a I I respected. Um, I thought it was entertaining and I respected what it was doing as art. Um, but yeah, like that, I had a very visceral reaction to like the horse, like <laughs> almost like a horror movie reaction. Yeah. Like I like didn't, I was like, what is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? And it was just like, it got so messed up where I was just like, I, <laughs> like what is this and what the, is this movie <laughs> the Equisapiens had a real like 90s Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles costume yeah. character vibe to them totally. and I was like but like wet yeah yeah yeah, but yeah, they're very like slimy. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's my cup of tea. Yeah. Because, yeah, like I said, it's like that kind of stuff, like especially like having like a visceral reaction to something like that, like that like kind of like sticks with me for a while and it makes me, you know, like I'll, I'll be thinking about it for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you should go see it because I think it's very entertaining and I think it's very relevant and it's like smart and different and 
yeah, it's it's nice to see something that isn't going back to the well of like the same thing that we've seen over. Because you get kind of tired going to the movie after a while if you just know you're going to get the same repeat. Yeah. Um, sort of um, patterns. But yeah, this was very, very interesting. Yeah. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film Sorry to Bother You. Uh, Jessica Tucker, mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming back. Thank and, you for having me. And yeah, don't make it so long. Next time. I know. I mean, just, you got to keep your crown now. Just fly back on our expense account whenever you want. I'll give you the credit card number. Yeah. If it doesn't work, don't worry don't about worry it. Don't worry about just, it. Just put it on just your card. Put it on we'll, your card. We'll reimburse you. There'll okay. be totally yeah. reimbursement. <laughs> yeah. um, do, you, do, do you accept snacks? Yeah. Of course. Okay, great. Uh, when you are not... Um, either jet-setting from coast to coast or blessing us or Steve Harvey with your presence, oh. where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at jessica.a.tucker. <laughs> oh, wait. Has I that changed, changed it? I changed that it. Changed? Oh, why, why, it's why very long you, now. Well, why did you change it? I like that. Was it, was it Mother, Mother Tucker? Tucker? Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. So my Twitter handle yeah. was Mother Tucker, and yeah. I had that. I made it like a long time ago, <laughs> and then I don't really use my Twitter, and then well, I, I kind of... Your Twitter's now Jessica Tucker. Tuckera. Tuckera. Yeah. Because Jessica Tucker <laughs> was taken and my oh. middle initial is a so wait, you you're saying mother tucker is up for grabs mother yeah mother all right well go go check out all of jess's uh instagrams and life and works there um shahir when you're not stealing Jess's old Twitter handle. Oh, man. there's gonna, the, the Jess Tucker parody account oh, no. is, uh, is at Mother Tucker right now. You can. Uh, Where can folks find you? You can tweet, uh, find me controlling that account uh, from my website, www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. I don't think anyone's going to take a run at Shahir Dowd. Like, no one's going to steal my Twitter handle. Nobody's that interested. You know what I really miss that you didn't do is dub, dub, dub. Dub, dub, dub. Oh, did I used to do that? You did you used to, to do, do that. Dub, dub, dub. Yeah. Dub, dub. That's like I'm a radio host from the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Matt Kroll, where can people... I'm not going to go with anything now. I'm all I'm all flush from not being saying dub, dub, dub and angry at myself. Uh, Matt, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me being introduced by someone where all the blood didn't rush away from their brain straight to a horse cock at MatthewKroll.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, you can find me at Skeletor the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, as the voice and showrunner of Extra Credits on YouTube, search that up. We just did a video on the concept of Ma, Ooh. which is Japanese, um, the, the theory which you can't even put silence, it really. Silence, right? It's not really silence. It's the it's the combination of emptiness or silence along with art mm -hmm. yeah. that um, that gives you the, the emotional flavor, basically, of what the actual piece is supposed to do. It, it's hard to actually, even when we did the video, it's really hard to define it in English. English. Right. Um, but it's one of my favorite videos we've ever done. Big shout out to Scott DeWitt who did the art. It's uh, it's phenomenal. So check that out. Um, and yeah, so just don't make it so long till the next time you come here. Okay. And, um, and great. That was easy. Um, what else can I ask for? Shahir, give me five dollars. Uh, I'll give you five dollars if you write into us with your thoughts and opinions on Sorry to Bother You at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us a PayPal link to pay us the five dollars. Done. Oh, wait. Are they paying us or are we paying you? I, I thought I was paying you to write a... Wait. I I'm, got confused. You're paying me to write a review? No. Th no. There, people are writing reviews and then no one's... And then they're paying no us. No one's getting paid. <laughs> Just talk to us. Let us know this what you think. This is how capitalism works. OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod. Uh, yeah, until next week where we might be taking up a, a mission 
that may be possible? Maybe possible. Might, might not be. be. I might. mean, we don't know. At this stage, are any of these missions impossible? Come <laughs> I on. Mean, they, they're really kind of... They're, they're, <laughs> until, until Tom Cruise passes away in one of these movies, every move, every mission was possible. It's mission possible. mission improbable. Yeah, mission slightly improbable. So just a little bit. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we will see y'all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.